Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're gonna tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 167th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Steve Perong and T. Lamb. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Writer Doyle. He's the writer-director of the new Netflix show Bonding, and he also plays Nick on Barry. He's one of the acting class guys. The one who uh, spends his, the beginning of his monologue this season with his head in the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this conversation was awesome. I mean, to me, one of the fascinating things is people always ask about web series turning into TV shows, and we always just have to go back to like high maintenance or drunk history or something from like 10 years ago. But it's something that Ryder did very recently, this year. Yeah. It started out as a web series, and when it got bought by Netflix, they didn't even change the episode lengths. They're like 10 to 14 minutes. Yeah, it's a pretty great show, and it's based on writer's actual real-life experience. It's a great story about an actor kind of coming up in New York, making things with his friends, moving out here, and finding success. Yeah, very very hard-earned success. Uh, like a, you know... Yeah, the, I made it sound easy. <laughs> you made, it, made it, sound it sound like it was like two weeks later. Yeah. He had no. a show on Netflix. Yeah, but uh, writer's really great. He's filled with insight uh, and great anecdotes, and uh, it was a really fun conversation. But before we get to writer, I'm dying to know, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Uh, yeah, man. Well, I think I've been writing a ton lately, in addition to kind of the regular old shooting and directing all, and all that stuff. I, uh, I've been writing a bunch, and I just sent a decent amount of, like a few treatments basically, off to my agent and manager, and they liked some of them. And that's like a one-page write-up of a TV show or something? No, 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 some bigger stuff. So they, they liked one of the things pretty well, but the thing that I'd been working on kind of for a while was like, you know, probably closer to 12, 16 pages, like a pretty, pretty thorough outline of oh. a, of a movie that I've been working on and they didn't really love it. And they read the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's 12 pages. They read enough to speak to it and to say, you know, like here are some things I liked about it. And I think that you need to rethink some things. But was it like, you should rewrite this or was it like, we're not really vibing with this idea. Try something new from scratch. Um, I don't think that they would ever say we're not vibing with this. Try something new from scratch. But they did not encourage me to keep going down the path of working on this project. Oh, right. They weren't like, oh, this is like 90% there. Yeah. Yeah. In, you know, sweet and constructive ways. And I think also, you know, you kind of always are up against this challenge of like, 
you know, as an artist, right, as an artiste, sometimes you're like, well, of course you don't get it. That's the point. No one's ever done this before. Right. And, and also, I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near that revolutionary, but, you know, uh, what I really mean is, like, sometimes agents and managers are a little more transactional. Right? Yeah. Like, They're can not I known, sell this or not? Right? They're not known for risk-taking. Right, right. And they have what they think are my best interests in mind because they're trying to think of things that they can sell. So no harm, no foul, basically, that they didn't get it. But it did uh, kind of coincide with a question that we got um, in the voicemail recently. So I thought we could kind of dovetail this all into uh, the topic of how, not just to receive notes, but how to speak Hollywood when you dislike something, basically. Right. It's about honesty in L.A., Let's hear that question. Hey, Oren and Nav, this is Jeff from Olympia, Washington. Uh, so I have a question. Um, I have a situation. Um, <laughs> I was actually in, uh, well, let's just say an event, and I met a well-known director, and he commented on a, uh, a show that's playing on one of the streaming services, asked me if I'd seen it and what I thought about it, and he told me the name, and I kind of laughed and said, oh, I was hated it you know and he completely just burst out laughing i was like you're not supposed to say that you know um <laughs> and i didn't know that he initially said you're not supposed to say that but yeah i agree with you but the funny thing is the next day he was on a panel um and one of the stars of that show was also there and all of a sudden he was just praising the hell out of this show um so there, I guess that my question is now, uh, you, I don't know, it's really about honesty, I guess. What is honesty in, in L.A.? <laughs> um, does it exist? Or does is everything that people do good, you know, is, is, this, is it just this constant praise that you, you know, the constant adulation for anything anybody does? And then you go talk about it and pine their back. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that is, but is that a normal thing? So Jeff is asking if people in L.A. just aren't honest. Right. And I think that there's a couple different layers that we need to peel back on this, right? Because certainly my anecdote about my agent manager was that um, they were honest with me that they didn't really love the thing that I had been working on for kind of a while. But they would never outright say, I hate this or I dislike this, right? And so I think that it, we are in an environment where we're around people who are really busting their butts all the time to make some stuff that sometimes you really love it and you're really proud of it and it's really special. And sometimes, you know, Orin and I have both made things that like we really worked our hardest at and didn't turn out the way we wanted. Right. Yeah. I think all of them. <laughs> yeah. To, to varying degrees, certainly. Um, and you need your team to be honest with you about like, Hey, I, I love this piece. I really, this is something that we really need to share around and I want you to be known for it and all of that. And sometimes they need to be like, Hey, maybe, you know, let's not talk about this one quite so much or not lead with this one. And also what I was saying was that like in, when you're surrounded by people who are making things all the time, you learn to be a little more uh, understanding of the work that goes into it right? If you, if all of your peers and all your friends are working 14 hours a day for nine months on something, then to, for someone to be like, Ugh, I hated it, you know, could hurt their feelings, you know? And there are a lot of people who aren't responsible for whether or not you hate a thing or not. Right. right. So that's why I think some of that language is, becomes coded, 
you know, you've got sensitive artists and then you've got a ton of crafts people who are all working really hard. And so no one ever wants to be like, oh, that sucked, right? Yeah. Well, I think I hate to get elementary school on it, but like there's something about constructive criticism that is like super valuable, especially when you are working in a field where people are trying to like reveal things about themselves, be vulnerable, be truthful, be honest, Mm -hmm. be artistic, um, you know, for you to do all that. And then for someone to say they hated it is like, it's really hurtful and it doesn't actually, it's not constructive in any way. And especially when you're surrounded by people who know what a triumph it is to even get something made in the first place. When you're empathetic to that, it becomes a lot harder to even think in those terms, you know? Yeah. And by the way, anyone that's worked in this business for like more than a day can tell when people like their stuff or don't like their stuff. So you telling someone you hated their work or disliked it or not into it is like they they already know that some people <laughs> don't like, you know. So I think to me, like the way you approach it is like, what do you think about this show? Like, well, you know, I first of all, if it's if you're talking to someone that has no vested interest in the show, I think it's totally fine to say like, yeah, I didn't didn't like it, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking to someone that is remotely close to the show or knows people that like, you know, if a, a friend of mine is dating someone that was mm-hmm. had one tiny role on a TV show that I didn't like, I would say like, oh, I love the casting, you know? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I really like the set. The story was like sure. a little slow for me or something. There's a great 30 Rock episode where uh, Jenna talks about how Tina Fey's character would always just compliment the lighting in all of her shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> By the way, that's a... I learned that from Joe McLean. He like sent me this movie. He's like, what'd you think of the movie? And I was like, it looks amazing. The cinematography is incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's like number That's one. That's code for I don't like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't like anything but the cinematography. Yeah, that's code for, and I've actually had never, I learned from that experience um, to not, like if you comment on something very technical like that, to me that's like the same as saying like you didn't like something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, but I try to, I tr- truly, it's a, it's a super subjective field, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether we're judging Pee Wee Herman or mm-hmm. the Godfather or whatever, it's like, there's some things in everything you can find something that you like and something that you don't like. And so like, if you're telling people, well, this is what I responded to and this is what I liked, whether it's the lighting or the style or the pacing or something, then, then they know, okay, I, you didn't like the other things and maybe sure. I should like those or not. Or, or address those. Or right, 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 exactly. So there's constructive criticism. There's kind of, you know, focusing on the positive. And then there's also the way we talk about the negative, right? So oftentimes people will use phrases and words like, I didn't connect with it, or it just wasn't for me, or I didn't spark to it, or this thing bumped for me, or um, I couldn't, did I say I couldn't get into it? You know, those are all code mm-hmm. words for. I, I fell asleep uh, halfway I, through the first I sentence. didn't like it, right? But that's a, saying I didn't like it can be a hurtful thing to say. To say, oh, it wasn't for me acknowledges that like other people might like it, but I did not. Yeah, and that is always true. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, a lot of times I've been reading scripts lately where I'm really bothered by the writing style. Like, I don't like the way they name their characters. I don't like the scene description, but it doesn't really affect the story. It's not going to change what ends up on screen. Right. Yeah. So how do you ever have that where you're like, oh, this is like a hard to read script, but it, the story is not bad. I think that if I know that other people, well, if my name is on it 
Oh, well, then if your name's fix on it. it. Yeah, no, no, or, but if, just change it. Yeah, but if someone else's name. I think it, if you're aware that it's hard to um, get into it, and that like maybe it's going to make it a challenge for actors to get into it, that's a thing worth considering. Yeah. yeah. Well, someone sent me like a script the other day, and the main characters were named like Jane and Jenna, and I was like, both with J's, and I was like, uh, yeah, and ends. Yeah, I was like, can I honestly spent half the script trying to figure out who was who. Yeah, I mean, um, that is a, a rookie mistake. Yeah, but so that's the type of feedback I've actually stopped giving people because I don't think it's important feedback, you know, necessarily. Um, but but to me, there's, I mean, that you know, honesty is like such a big, big topic. Of course, if someone says like, do you like this TV show? And I don't really like it. I'll say like, not, not really. It's not a big deal in mm-hmm. LA. But, uh, but it, if you're at the premiere for the TV show and someone said, what do you think? Yeah, if you're talking to anyone related to it, you say like I just went to the Deadwood movie premiere. Mm-hmm. I did not. I do not know Deadwood. It, the movie didn't. I didn't quite understand what's going on. I talked to the people there that had worked on it, and I was like, I was like, I love like the 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 way the dialogue. It's like a Shakespeare mm-hmm. in the West. Like, and I didn't even know that about the show, and I was like really fascinating. That's like, so that's what I said because that's yeah. like the thing that I most connected with it. And then I saw on Twitter other people like loved the movie. They're like the movie does justice to the show, like mm-hmm. a yeah. perfect ending, like. So you never know. You, it's better to not make enemies. Everyone knows that. But also it really depends on what part of the process you're talking about. Like if you sent me a script uh, or even a rough cut, I'd be like, oh, I didn't like this joke. Maybe you can cut this out. And you can say like, well, I, that's my favorite joke. I'm not cutting it. Right. But yeah, if you I, sent I me literally that's happened. Yeah. But if you sent me, you're like, hey, it's, it's the final cut. You know, it's per screening. I would be like. I love it. Congrats, man. Yeah. Yeah, Like I would not. I love the cinematography. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I would not. You don't want notes on something that is not notable yet. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's like if if they say, hey, I'm going to make a sequel or now I'm working on my next thing Mm -hmm. and you have some opinions and you want to like help in quotes what you think is helping, then you can say like, hey, what if in this next one there's like more dialogue or more this or you kind of take a stronger point of view i think only if someone asks for that should you ever say something like that like if i if what if it's like your wife yeah that's different that's different if you have a really personal relationship with the person then yeah and it's in their best interest for you to correct a blind spot sure but like if you were just casually with someone and they're you you know you know you're talking to the director of john wick four like they don't need for me to be like, hey, you know, I think like uh, less of the gun stuff. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they already have enough people telling them that, yeah. that. And then enough people telling them the exact opposite as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think in conclusion, I do think that L.A. has this reputation for not being honest, for being fake. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like more about being sensitive to people and to people's like art, whether it's like total junk Sharknado yeah. or whether it's, you know, true... Yeah, like high high prestige cinema. There's just something nice about being sensitive to people's feelings. Yeah, and I I think that it, the closer you are to actually making the stuff, to making mass media, the more sensitive you are to that, right? Because you're you're just more intimately aware of what it takes to do it. Right. Wait. Let me ask you one last question. Actually, on yeah. this topic, like if a friend of you made of yours made a movie that you really didn't like. Um, and then they asked you what you thought of the movie. Would you ever say I loved it or would you, cause I, to me there's like the difference, like yeah. you can be honest without lying. I don't like, you know, yeah. I, mean, I think that cause maybe that is really what Jeff is asking us. 
Right. This director said he hated something and then the next day he said he loved it. Right. On a panel. Right. So there's two, there's two separate things there. If you are, if your job is to sell the movie, right. A panel is marketing. You, you are part of a commercial, an hour long commercial or a live commercial where you talk about how great the movie is. And I, you know, I would maybe talk around explicitly saying that I loved a certain aspect of a, a project that I didn't. I think that my friends know me well enough. I would say that, you know, like it wasn't for me. Yeah. Right. And if they you know keep what I'll pushing, say, I'll say, Oh, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. That's just us not wanting to say, Hey, I hated your thing. <laughs> right. I think that the big exception is like, there's a difference between not connecting with it and being offended by it. Like if somebody made something that was racist or sexist or insensitive in a way and they didn't know it, I think I would have a harder time with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Do you remember that movie, uh, million dollar baby? Mm-hmm. There's like, actually, I don't know if I've seen it all the way, but at the end, I think someone dies. Mm-hmm. It's a decision that's made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my uncle was, he was quadriplegic and my grandmother was kind of like his caretaker. And she said she loved the movie, except she hated the ending because she doesn't think like anyone would be better off dead. You know, mm-hmm. she was offended by it, but she still liked the movie. The offensiveness thing is a different thing. We've talked about that yeah. here. And again, we, I think I would only give that note in a place where I could be helpful mm-hmm. with that. But yeah. if not, I would just be like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Racist yeah. ass. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, well, cool. Well, before we get into writers, should we tell people about our Patreon? That's right. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. It's a way you can support the podcast. If you tune into it every Thursday, if you're from Olympia, Washington, if your name is Jeff, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, but if you think the show is, is something that you like having in your life and you want to help us keep making it, then check out patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. And by the way, if you do a $10 pledge, even for one month, we're going to mail you the all new amazing just shoot it podcast hat which i've been wearing all around town and people have just been look at me like i'm a crazy cool cat yeah people are just honking and waving yeah they're all so excited so if you would like a hat let us know we've got a bunch of hats in our uh, orange garage now yeah and if you see someone walking around with the just shoot it podcast hat there's a high chance it's me say hi yeah please we're taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor plot devices They make the Story Clock Notebook, and we have one of the co-founders, Seth Worley, here with us to talk to us about why you would use the Story Clock Notebook. So the Story Clock Notebook is a tool for researching and developing stories. The first half of the book is for watching movies, writing down time codes, the story beats that happen at those times, visualizing that like a clock so that you can get a bird's eye view of the structure of that story. And the benefits of that are one, procrastinating and not actually having to do any writing. <laughs> sure, love it. But also being able to internalize the structures of your favorite movies. Not so that you can create like a framework of rules or systems that you have to work within going forward, but to have a reference point be able to point to and say, I'm not doing this wrong Mm -hmm. because Jurassic Park, for example, takes the entire first half of the movie to get the boulder up the hill before the promise of the premise ever happens. Which is what the dinosaurs escaping. Yeah, the T-Rex breaks out at exactly at the midpoint of the movie. And if anyone going to see the movie, they went to go see dinosaurs break out and eat people. And it's not going to happen until the second half of the movie. So why does that work still? Like, why were there not executives giving notes saying to compress that and have that Where happen? Where are the dinosaurs, baby? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's how executive sound right <laughs> that's exactly how they sound so we made the story clock notebook to be able to do that for story nerds like me to be able to sit down watch a movie and visualize its story structure and have a central place to where you can keep all of this nerdy research of yours to be able to go back uh, and look at later when you're working on your own stories as well in honor of jurassic park and steven spielberg and the fact that he can do no wrong give or take a couple movies we're giving away a spielberg pennant as part of our story clock promotion for a chance to win that Spielberg pennant, all you have to do is go to Instagram or Twitter and tag at PlotDevicesCO with the name of the movie that changed your life as a filmmaker. For me, it was definitely Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The heart ripping out, the mind shaft roller coasters, it really made me want to be in that movie. We're dying to hear what your movie was, so go to Instagram or Twitter right now and tag PlotDevicesCO with the movie that changed your life. We wanted to give a quick disclaimer before we get into this interview that if you have kids around you or are sensitive to adult topics, we do discuss some more adult things that are found in the dominatrix featuring show Bonding in this interview. If you're not sensitive to those things, you are going to love it. So here's the interview. Okay, hey. We are here with Ryder Doyle. Ryder Doyle. Hi. Oh, um, there's no like splashy intro or something. I was just sort of waiting. We do that at the end, actually. Oh, yeah. We'll be like, we love how much we learned from Ryder about X, Y, and Z, like but we don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No. We thought we'd learn a lot more from Ryder Doyle. Oh my God. Here's the interview. Me too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we're super excited to have you. We have the, we share a manager, Jacob Perlin. Yes. Well, Jacob is not technically my manager, but he produced oh, he's the not? show. No, my manager is Derek Gordon, who's also at Anonymous. And so I pitched this oh. idea to her and then she sent me to uh, Jacob and Nina, Nina Soriano, and um, they came aboard. So, um, oh, interesting. Maybe they regret it now. Who knows? Well, I guess this is like, we're diving right into it, which is like, so you made Bonding, you wrote, you directed it. Uh Uh-huh. You do not star in it for some reason. No, I don't star in it. Well, it's written for uh, two 22-year-olds, and I know we're in a podcast and you can't see my face, but... um, Maybe in like 10 years when I get a facelift, then I'll be 22 again. But But also, if you watch Barry, you can see you. Yes, you can see me being... um, You're the one that's throwing up in the toilet, right? I'm the one that's throwing up in the toilet. I like to say I'm the gay guy in the acting (laughs) class, though it's never really explicit, but we kind of like tick out those boxes for the acting class, those sort of stereotypes of of, uh, who might be in an acting class. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. With a um, little, with an eating disorder. Spoiler alert. Sure. That's but you have idea. an eating disorder? Yeah, that's kind of like that. You don't really see it. I mean, like they cut. Oh, that's why yeah, you're. Yeah, that's why I'm throwing up in a toilet. Yeah. Um, it, Barry is a an amazing show to work on because we actually film so much. And I think one of the reasons that the show works so well is that they really let us fly the acting class and the mob, mm-hmm. um, you know, those two sides of the show. Um, and then they pack it all into 30 minutes and you've never seen so many things happen in 30 minutes before. They're just running through story. They're mm-hmm. running through jokes. They're running through character uh, super quickly. So, um, one of the great things about the show is that it's so playful and fun. And one of the um, uh, hits to one's ego is how much of everything gets cut out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, you had so many. I mean, I think the you know each character is doing like basically a, a short one act, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm sure there's a ton of great material left on the floor. Yeah, well, the, the, that whole conceit this year of them doing a story about um, the acting class doing stories about their lives actually comes from after season one. Bill asked Sarah Goldberg and I because um, we both come from theater backgrounds uh, if we had ever done anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and she's the one. She's the main, the female lead. Yeah, she's the main the female lead. And I, I um, and I had worked at the Williamstown Theater Festival, mm-hmm. and actually I was. 
here we go, diving in. But I was bulimic in my early 20s, and I told this story about how at Williamstown, I told that story to uh, a playwright and a director, and they made a show about that. So I played, like, essentially my bulimic self in my 20s in this large show about, like, self-help. And so that's a part of where this season's conceit comes from, which is so speaks so highly of Bill and Alec that they Mm -hmm. are always looking for... um, input and ideas from the people that they work with right so they were desperate for yeah. ideas yeah they're, <laughs> they're like, they're like you got I, I, I don't know <laughs> let's stop. writer what do you think yeah, yeah uh, you know what's also great is that because neither of them come from a theater background or mm-hmm. um you know bill comes from an improv background but never went to real acting class um that he they heavily rely on um our quote-unquote expertise on what that experience is like mm-hmm. yeah so it's super fun so you studied did you study theater in college and yeah i studied stuff? theater in college i went to bard college in oh, upstate cool. new york i went there and i studied theater it was not necessarily acting school it's more of like the you know intellectual esoteric right. ideas kind of like theater. pretentiousness school absolutely mm-hmm. um and i you know everyone was from new york and la and much cooler than me i grew up in new orleans um, which is a very cool place to be from, obviously, but um, maybe not in um, the artsy-fartsy way that kids from L.A. and New York are. So, yeah, um, you did voodoo and stuff, right, growing yeah, up? Yeah, I did. I did voodoo and alcohol, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Perfect. That's the family lineage there. <laughs> Perfect. Um, um, so, okay, so then, so then tell us about bonding. Like, I guess, yeah, where well, did that come from? Yeah. Okay, so bonding is based on my real-life experience um, of becoming a dominatrix assistant slash bodyguard for... Uh, one of my best friends when I first moved to New York. I was working like four jobs. I was working concessions at the New York Theater Workshop, and you know I was um, assisting a gardener, and you know doing whatever I could, trying and taking acting classes. Assisting a gardener, like yeah. Well, I mean, like it's it's a, it's dar- darker than it sounds. He <laughs> he has HIV AIDS and and couldn't lift. Got sick enough. He was a wonderful gardener, and he couldn't uh, got sick. Uh, and uh, couldn't lift his own soil. So essentially I would like pack the soil for him. So you tried to make a joke and then I fucking wow. ruined Ooh. you. Wow, you out. deep. I know. Eventually I, um, uh, my friend sort of confessed to me that this is what she was doing with her life. And if I needed extra money, I could do it as well. This being dominatrixing. Yeah. Or do you call it dominating? Um, doming. Oh, doming. You know, BDSM yeah. doming. Yeah. Um, so I did, I, so I did that. I did it very briefly if I'm being honest and, um, but it was a very formative and funny and strange experience for me. It sort of became this like running party story, you know, like an mm, epic sure. 30 minute party sure. story. I told it at my friend's, uh, baby shower once uh-huh. because they were like tell that story yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and, your a material yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly you, exactly you. and uh eventually i thought yeah i should do something with this um and with a lot of time uh and in retrospect i saw just how formative actually that experience was for me in opening me up uh sexually because i had just come out of the closet and i was a pretty fearful uh young gay at the time um, no longer, but that was the, that was the idea. Um, and then it sort of just became a bigger story. It's highly fictionalized. Most of the things that happened on the show, uh, did not happen to me specifically. In real life, there's a lot more peeing. Well, yeah, I pee every day, multiple, (laughs) multiple times a day, but you know, in the gay community, like peeing on people is like not such a big deal. That would, that's not something I would learn for years. I mean, it's not my bag particularly, but, um, you know, 
it's uh, yeah, at, I was not aware of that. at first blush you're like oh my god and then everyone's like yeah i, I peed on him like, oh okay <laughs> oh wow and now you're getting married yeah. cool congratulations so educational podcast yeah um, uh, uh, wait so okay so then you got to la at some point right yeah so i was working in new york as an actor i did some movies and tv shows and um, did you do theater too? yeah i did i did one broadway show called enron which was about the rise and fall of the enron corporation <laughs> and uh it ran for two weeks it was a it was a huge hit in london and a severe bomb in America, no one wanted to pay like 200 bucks to, sure. you know, get talk, depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, think about how they don't have any money. Were you um, like a CEO or like an exec? Or I played one of the Lehman brothers. We were conjoined <laughs> twins. <laughs> and then, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, no, for real. It was very theatrical actually, but, uh, written by uh, a wonderful writer named Lucy Preble, who now writes on, Oh, what's that HBO show about the family? Succession. Succession. Yes. Um, and has written, uh, movies and plays and she's, incredible and it was directed by rupert gould who directed the movie true story yeah i I have a genuine practical question actually um about the assistant doming gig yeah how lucrative was it um yeah it it pays really really well well. i mean i was getting a small cut of what that was Mm -hmm. and you know walking away with much more money than i was making anywhere your friend was a woman yes yeah yeah yeah. um and so it 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 is i mean like it this you know people uh, the stereotype yeah the stereotype is that it's a bunch of big like finance guys i mean like we would literally go to like mansions in white plains to like (laughs) also like barely there's barely any furniture in them you know just like Mm -hmm. like i remember one of them had like huge like mancoon cat in a cage i mean like it's just these guys who are like you know really fucking you know can't stop talking about how big their dick is and then you know they want to in private be paid to talk about how small their dick is right. you know right so that is from a true that is that is thing. true yeah um so so why did you move to la oh so i moved to la because um i had written my first after enron was a bomb one of my best friends uh zoe kazan who's a wonderful mm-hmm. actress and writer um we shared the same agent at the time and i had been writing and i showed her my writing and she said she said you should show this to our agent that show was called the walker um and it was about a gay guy with a bunch of best girlfriends who becomes um a gay best friend for hire. So essentially mm-hmm. like a theme running through my work is monetizing emotion. <laughs> um, and so can I ask you for a second, yeah. did you start writing because you were like really kind of felt the mm. urge to write or were you like, I want to make some of my own material. So I'm going to like hunker down, lock myself in my apartment and write. Yeah. Well, I think coming into this world as an actor, you know, you sort of think like, what are the avenues and channels that could work for me? And, um, in sort of in this, you know, Lena Dunham-esque age that we were all sort of walking into in those in that last decade. Um, it was like, well, how can I write my own material to mm-hmm. make something that people can see me in? Because, you know, I, I was playing like the gay babysitter in Young Adult or mm-hmm. the gay mm-hmm. whatever on Law & Order SVU. And, you know, you just sort of like, okay, this is going to be my lot in life. And if I have, you know, any semblance of talent, maybe I can try and do something else. But Honestly, what really got me writing was um, most every script I would read, no matter what part I was going in for, was pretty bad. Sure. And I thought, like, if people are getting paid to do bad things, like, I, 
Yeah, I could get paid to do a bad thing. Like I think oh, you mean if the writers are getting paid to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If like, yeah. or if people are getting, you know, if you're seeing a bad movie or the, you know, whatever. I just thought like, well, I can do bad shit. Like, I mean, like, are people getting paid to do that? So I think it sort of came from this loss of of fear mm-hmm. that I could make something and it would be bad. I thought, well, I just have to try every avenue because I'm not really paying my rent. Right. right. That's what I love about film festivals. Is that you go yeah, to like Sundance like, and you go to the shorts program and you're like, eh, that wasn't that good. I can make something better as like yeah. equally bad to that. Yeah. And it's, it's actually like wonderfully inspiring in a weird way where you're like, I mean, just, you know, taking the risk of doing anything, um, could be rewarding. You know, mm-hmm. I was, it's like getting on the roller coaster. It's like, it looks really scary. turns out it's really fun. You may have thrown up on yourself, but you probably will do it again you know sure. i'm asking you all these things you yeah. know our, our podcast is primarily about directing and filmmaking but something that we think about all the time and that our guests talk about all the time is like writing because no the one's Genesis, giving you right. a great yeah. script you creating know? just shooting it as part of that is gen- right. generating your own content. right yeah so I, as a director but as an actor you're saying it's pretty much the exact same thing yeah you're sort of you're coming into it i mean that is the that is the the groundwork it's the foundation of everything you're going to do and i think you know film tv and film film in particular actually um is a very uh director centric medium because you take a script and then you bring it to life in from the point of view mm-hmm. your aesthetic point of view all these different things i think in the theater the the genesis and the art of theater primarily comes from a playwright um so uh looking at both ends of that i thought like you know what's most important for me as an actor is given the opportunity to tell stories that I think are important and valuable. I was not given that as an actor. So I thought maybe as a writer, I could give that to myself or give that to other people. Um, and I found out through my first process of writing for myself that I was not that interested in myself, though I was interested in some of the things that I'd been through in my life. So coming into bonding, I wanted to write about an experience of my life that was bigger than me and that I was not going to cast, uh, you know, some version of me. I wanted to step very far outside of myself yeah when you say you weren't interested in yourself you you mean i'm very interested in myself i'm like (laughs) self-obsessed you mean like in subject matter you i just not interested in like i think that the first thing i wrote was coming from the place of being like i'm gonna write something for myself that will showcase me and will showcase who i am and yeah and then i thought like so there's like an action scene there's a scene where you cry yeah kind of like that where you do a funny accent i'm funny and uh, yeah and but then um i think i learned through that experience that was uh storytelling was much more important to me than Mm -hmm. uh telling my own stories or stories that would be um like vehicles for you as an actor yeah right yeah Yeah, i think writing can be something where it's inspired by your true life experience of course it kind of almost always has to be right but extrapolating beyond that taking those emotional experiences and then kind of seeing it through the lens of other characters right right right. it's like spielberg is like you know every movie is you know the the parents are gone and the kid is on their own and you know it has this sort of but it's all steeped in his own mythology of himself you know and when you're watching these movies you're like oh yeah like i know who this person is and what he wants to talk about Mm -hmm. um and so i thought maybe i'd step more into a spielbergian direction i don't know (laughs) well so when did you start directing oh yeah so um so i took this project out and um you know it obviously has bonding bonding it's uh, obviously is this the first project you've kind of taken around to pitch 
Yeah, well, so the uh, the the Walker was oh, right. um, brought out by a company, the Littlefield Company. Warren Littlefield used to run NBC and now has a big production company. Um, they do and Handmaid's this... Tale, Fargo, all those things. Never heard of them. Is right. this, um, you were in LA already? No, I, I was in New York and we had made a short version of the show with like mm-hmm. all of my like best girlfriends in New York City. And did you play the main character? I played the main character and it was... Uh, Zoe Kazan and Betty Gilpin and Carrie Mulligan and Lily wow. Rose and Gabby yeah. Sidibe and all of these, you know, Aya Cash, all these incredible oh, wow. actors. But they all, all of us started in New York or met doing theater uh, before they had gotten famous. So this was sort of a journey for all of us. If mm-hmm. anything, it was like a nice little time capsule of what it was like to be 27 in New York City with all of our friends. Um, and it was brought out to L.A., uh, the Littlefield Company loved the show. We developed the show. Um, Wait, and, so sorry. I'm going to just slow you down no. for a second. So you just shot like a short, like a proof of concept. Yeah, well, we shot the whole, I think the episodes are maybe seven minutes. They're they're super short, but it was like, it was a web series, um, but just with like some very flashy people involved <laughs> in it. And were they flashy at the time? Um, they were, they, I mean, Carrie had been nominated for an Academy Award, but, and so had Gabby Sidibe and, and, you know, Zoe and, uh, I would say that the least flashy person at that was moment Betty was Gilbert. Betty, who yeah. is um, essentially, as all my girlfriends well know now, is just the muse of my life. She's the funniest, most interesting, like weirdest actress I've ever seen. Right. And our listeners would know her from Glow, probably. Yes. Yes. From Glow. Most prominently. Yeah. yeah. Um, so who paid for that? Um, a guy named Andrew Corkin. Corkin productions corks i get i sort of forget the name of the production company but um lovely guy we made it super super quickly and his um this guy brian riceberg one of his best friends who's director he directed it mm-hmm. um and it was very very quick um, and so it's like a web series you shot a few episodes yeah in new york yeah we shot a few episodes in new york and then screened it out in la mm-hmm. and we had some bites was it on spec or like or was, it, was there a buyer you said there there were bites so you're selling it around but yeah like- so you're selling it around but uh, to, sort of to re to repurpose it as a television mm-hmm. show you Wait, know yeah sorry i'm going to rewind one more time just because i think yeah just to give you like some insight into our audience it's like always about kind of like yeah the way in and sorry like the i'm going too fast no it's like but but this is the interesting thing like yeah. how did you so you're friends with all these great actresses yeah right? and how did you get whoever financed it on board to, um, I think send them a so through, yes. Yeah, so through, um, our mutual agent at the time, Jen Conowal, who's now a manager and producer, um, at Washington square. Amazing, amazing person. Um, she showed it to Andrew Corkin, who's she had some sort of business ties with her. She just showed him the script. Yeah. Showed him the script. Um, and he loved the script and we, I had written it for all of my friends. So they were essentially naturally attached to the show. And that was enough for him, uh, to go ahead and give us the money. I mean, it was and not did you a write lot the whole money. season. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote it very quickly. Um, how many episodes did you write? I think it's, I think it's eight. I'm actually not sure. I haven't watched it in a very long time. If I'm being how long ago is this? This is I was uh, 27, so uh, nine years ago. Okay, and so I'm trying to think what was that was like 
probably the Adam film super deluxe days or no? Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. There were, so there were right. in the digital landscape, there were buyers out there. Like people were turning web series into TV shows. Right. So it's yes. a kind of a backdoor like drunk pilot, history basically. probably around. Right. 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 Time. So yeah, this, this, this was all happening in and around that time. Um, it was like a new, it was like the wild, wild west. I mean, I think it still is in many ways, but, um, but like, were you thinking like, Ooh, web series is like some, what everyone's doing. I should do one. Yeah, I guess, you know, it follows, and I'm jumping forward and then I'll come back, but it follows a similar trajectory of what happened with bonding, and uh, which is that I had very limited expectations of what we were doing. I really wanted to make something. If anything, I wanted to make um, a really good reel for mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. Um, me as a writer and me as an actor, and uh, it seemed to grow and grow and grow in ways that I had not expected at all. So um, for anyone out there who's looking to make something, lowered expectations. <laughs> and did you write it like with locations you knew in mind? Like how did you? Um, of- yeah, sort of my boyfriend at the time, now ex-boyfriend is, uh, he worked at a restaurant that I knew we could get for free. Mm-hmm. I knew we could film in my apartment building, um, though they eventually kicked us out. Um, sure, sure. You know, so it was, it was very location oriented in that way. We were filming in the spring in New York City. So we were stealing a bunch of shots mm-hmm. and doing that kind of stuff. So it was pretty gorilla, especially for the other people that were working on the right. show who would really only do that for a friend. Sure. You're talking about the actors. Yeah, the, the actors. Cast. But yeah. it was also, I'm sure, super fun. Yeah, right? no, we had, we had such a wonderful time. Right. If anything, I think that the show... Um, eventually what happened was, is that it wasn't picked up by, we were at Sony with the show and it wasn't picked up by any network. Was it Crackle? Uh, no, no. Like to become a television show. We were, and, but so it gestated Mm -hmm. this version of it gestated for years and years, maybe I guess three, no, two and a half years. Sony and the Littlefield company let it go. And a girl I had met early on in the process named Christine D'Souza, now Christine D'Souza Gelb, um, she was um, a buyer with like a small company mm-hmm. um, that was looking to sell the, was looking to sell the web version of the show. She had since moved to WME and um, I she called me and she said, we're and we're friends and um she called me and she said listen i know that the show is now up for grabs refinery 29 is looking to buy content and it was the first thing they bought and since it was already made it was the mm-hmm. first thing that went up on their site for them so it went to refinery 29 and then i went to wme with christine so that brought you to la so that brought me to la um and then i was but it was an exhausting process and honestly mm-hmm. like as an actor um i it sort of put me in a weird position where I was not sure how to juggle all of these things that I had started doing. So everything that I had wanted had come to fruition. I was now with a great agency Mm -hmm. with great management. um, And and they repped you like for writing and directing? Yeah, for everything. And, um, but I was... I mean, and acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just got kind of, um, I guess, scared a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't know what to do next. And I was going to auditions and I really wasn't, succeeding at them and um i kind of had a year and a half of really nothing Mm -hmm. and i wrote um a spec for i'm obsessed with the real housewives and i wrote a spec finale for the real (laughs) housewives of beverly hills where essentially the reality show yeah the reality show with like no talking heads essentially Mm -hmm. just becomes like a film you know like a 60 minute film what happened was is that like one of the dogs of one of the real housewives um is having a birthday party and she gets all of these 
uh, stuffed animals as gifts for everyone else. And it looks just like her dog, but her Mm -hmm. dog doesn't really move. It's very old dog. And she drops the dog into all of these stuffed animals Mm -hmm. and she can't find her dog. Mm -hmm. The thing that she loves the most in the world. So she's like looking in the eyes of all these stuffed animals, thinking if it's her real dog. Meanwhile, all the other, yes, exactly. And all the other housewives are coming to this party to kidnap or kill the dog because they are jealous of this woman. So it kind of goes crazy. Everyone gets killed. There's like really creepy dog voiceover that comes in at the end. Uh, And I wrote this thing just because I wanted to. And mm-hmm. uh, my agents were asking me to write a spec. And I was like, I, you know, I had this funny idea about a spec yeah. about how the friends uh, get caught up in the Ebola crisis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they get quarantined into their apartment. You know, it was all these kind of like weird ideas that I was having. And I would, you know, show it to people and they'd be like, this is really funny, but like, we like, don't really know what, what to do what with this. What can we do with this? Yeah. Um, Which normally you're like, well, you're an agent, figure out how to sell it. Well, in this case, it, you have to cut them a little bit more slack, right? right? But it's no, a no. writing sample. Though, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. a writing sample. Yeah. And I think that what it saw for what was good about all of it for me is that um, I felt creatively fulfilled because I felt like I had made something mm-hmm. that I thought was good for the first time maybe ever. And mm-hmm. it had no attachment uh, to being made. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't care if it got made. I didn't care if it, if anyone was interested in it. And it sort of like woke this thing up in me, which was like, when we made the Walker, I didn't direct it. I didn't fight anyone on it. I didn't have sort of interesting, a a clear artistic vision, uh, even as a writer of what I was making. I was like, here's an idea. Here's how I'm going to do this idea. It just has to get made. And then um, from this sort of sadness or sort of uh, weird depression that came out of nothing coming from it, um, I just started making things that I was really proud of that no one would ever see. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of where this next step in my career came. You yes. started working on writer. Yeah, I started working on writer, the writer, the person, the whatever. Yeah. And so um, let's talk a little bit about then the genesis of bonding, right? So obviously yeah. you've got this real world experience, right? Mm-hmm. And all of that. Um, and by the way, I just want to pause and say I watched the whole thing and I love it. And I got a haircut yesterday and I was asking the guy that was cutting my hair. I was like, so did you watch Game of Thrones? Did you watch the finale? He's like, eh, nah, I'm not really into it. I was like, well, what do you watch? He's like, well, I'm really loving the show Bonding. And then the woman at the haircut at the station next was like, I know it's so good, right? Oh, my God. So, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like. If only they were better at cutting hair, though. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, I don't know if you uh, know my podcast. My mom. I'm missing out. Uh, um, uh, so bonding, I, I'm sure, you know, everyone's always saying, like, oh, write what you know. Like, what are your great, you know, mm-hmm. experiences? And obviously, you've been, you know, doing this material at cocktail parties for the right. last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so you have that aha moment of, like, oh, this is my next series. What right. Um, tell us about how that all came to be. Well, so I was pitching at post me writing a bunch of these other weird things that sort of didn't go anywhere, but that I was super proud of. Um, I was with Dara, my manager in New York. Um, she was like, let's go over some new ideas. You know, like what's, what's on the horizon. Can I ask you at this point, yeah. are you kind of stressed out? Cause you've had your manager, you're with William Morris, you're with anonymous at the point. Yeah. At that time. 
like the great reps. Yeah. And like nothing has really happened for a yeah. while. Yeah. Except for you wrote one script that you're really proud of. Yeah. Like, do you ever get stressed that like your reps yeah. are like, there's that flip where you're like, if only I had incredible people. Right. Be out right, there. right. And, and then like, all of a sudden you're like, I'm not the incredible right. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. sometimes keep I'm them. like, right. ah, I wish I made more money for Jacob. Yeah. Yes. So oh my God. He I'm, would be more excited. To I make, me. I make, uh, the least amount of money that for Derek Gordon than anyone's ever made her. She has very starry clients. Um, but I, yeah, I got, I got nervous about that kind of stuff, but I also knew that people were invested in me in the long run. And I thought they saw the potential in me sometimes that I did not see in myself. So strangely, the, I know people have a lot of issues with their agents and their managers, and, but those were the people that were shepherding me into making any kind of work. I think because uh, they thought I could do something good and I was unsure of that. So they were just like, write something, anything. Yeah. Write something, anything, finish something. I think it's so different. I mean, like what I tell everyone when they ask me, like, how do you do? Just shoot it, just finish it. Just, if you're mm-hmm. going to write something, just finish it and give it to someone, show it to them. It's not going to be perfect, but it's a jumping off point. You think it's bad halfway through no matter what. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I still think some things are bad. I mean, like, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I guess, like, a part of it is that one gets so worried about a public perception of who they are and the work that they make when in actuality if you get so worried about that you'll just never make anything that the public sees Mm -hmm. so if people think it's bad you know i I, there's nothing i can say other than i did it yeah i keep thinking sorry to bring things back to game of thrones but i keep thinking about that you know so many people are really disappointed with the finale of the entire show and i was equally i think disappointed but i'm also like they still made game of thrones yeah these these people (laughs) like it's still the best show like one of the best shows of all time like right and so people are always going to be disappointed with part of what you do even if you make the best thing ever even if they made the best finale of that show there would still be people who are disappointed you know and the 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 emotions that are elicited by the public based on the finale of game of thrones are only because their expectations for how good it has been have gone that way i mean when we made the first season of barry the New York Times wrote an article about how good the first season of Barry was and that they should not make a second season. <laughs> they should stop right there. Yeah. And so because there's so many bad second seasons. Right. Yeah, Barry yeah. is not one. Right. They're like a perfect season. Leave it at that. A hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. We're done. Yeah. Um, and then I personally believe that they went or they went ahead and made a second, a better, a better season. second. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. Well, I want to talk real quickly about, so you've got bonding. You yeah. decide to make it right. And it starts as a digital series, right? Yeah. And, and off mic, we were kind of talking about the way that you kind of set your own expectations, right? right? So you've already kind of made some things that didn't end up going, right? right. And you get to show around and all of that. Um, and then, you know, you make bonding and it's got kind of some um, humble beginnings, right? So tell us about the process of it ending up on Netflix ultimately. Right. Yeah. Or like why even start as a web show as opposed to... TV show. Right. So I went to Anonymous to Jacob and Nina and I uh, pitched them this show and I had written a very loose mm-hmm. uh, sort of treatment that was like, you know, in this day and age, in this space, there was like a one minute version of the show, a 15 mm-hmm. minute version of the show, a 30 minute version of the show. Like yeah. I was willing Micro to. series. Yeah, Mid-series. exactly. Mid-series. Like yeah. anyone. And was there anyone partnering with you? Like was Dara helping you with the pitch before you pitched it to Nina and Jacob? Or? Um, well, yeah. I mean, like she always reads everything. I do we talk about everything we do she's like so um she's 
her husband is a writer. She's like such an incredible reader of scripts and can talk about things in both the micro and the macro. And so she's been an unbelievable gift to me um, as a creator um, because she's an incredibly creative person. And I think that Jacob and Nina are also fall under that. So I got supremely lucky that I ended up with management side, <laughs> management people who are actually extremely creative and understanding of the creative process. Um, but I ended up, the, the reason I wanted to make bonding in telling the story, obviously furthering my career and making something, but I wanted to direct it. I looked back mm -hmm. on the Walker and I said, I can do this. And I've worked enough as an actor, as a writer, as a creative person that I know I can do it. Um, and I'd never done it before. And is it like when you're on the set of Barry or any of the other millions of movies and TV shows you've done, is that something you were paying attention to? Like what kind of lenses? Yeah. The using how's the lighting and what's yeah, yeah, the yeah. Blocking? I mean, I think that that for me was something that I was trying very hard to, um, and luckily on Barry and on other things I've been on, um, they allow you that space. Mm -hmm. Many times film sets don't really do that. What do you mean? Like the director? Yeah. Like they look, you're allowed to be at the monitor. You're allowed to hear mm -hmm. about the way that they're talking about the shot, mm -hmm. what they're thinking about for the shot. Sometimes it's just sort of stand there, say it, you know, like you ask how they're framing you and you don't even know why, you know, you just want to make sure that your hands stay in or stay out, whatever you need. Um, but yeah, I was super interested in that. A lot of my friends are filmmakers. Um, the, the, everyone calls them the catfish boys, but they're really super marche. Henry juiced and Rel Shulman, um, have been two of my best friends since I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're, they're the ones that did the catfish movie and the MTV show. Yeah. 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 And they, Zoe Kazan, she, Zoe Kazan and Paul did Dano. She direct, did they direct, um, Paul directed Wildlife, okay. her partner, um, but they wrote that together. And the movie she made, Ruby Sparks, was oh, yeah, directed Ruby by... Um, oh, the couple, yeah, John yeah, and Val. John and Val, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I have a bunch of director friends, a bunch of people who work in the field, and, and you know, I just thought it was something I could do. And, and honestly, I don't think I can do much. <laughs> so for me to have that feeling like mm -hmm. burning inside of me, I thought I got to test the waters here. So I went into them saying, however we make this, however we do this, I am directing it. And if that doesn't come to fruition, if, if everyone says no, I'm not going to do it. And what about, did you ever say like, I'll, can I just do the pilot? No. So what happened was, is that we'd eventually, so we pitched it at anonymous used to have a deal with Paramount mm -hmm. and for TV. I don't think they do anymore, but uh, they're somewhere else. But the, so we pitched it there as a television show and almost every place that we went to, whether it be like a super deluxe, whether it be Paramount, any version of this show uh, said it's too racy or it's not racy enough. Like mm -hmm. we want it to be like, very, very sexy, take everyone's clothes off that kind of, and I was not interested in making that show. And then there was another version of it where it was like, let's do this show, but can she actually be an accountant, you know, or <laughs> right. something? Sure. Yeah. So, um, nothing really was fitting driving. And then we met with this company called black pills, which is a French company who had just made an office in Los Angeles. Um, and they and were how long ago. Is this like a year ago? This is so, uh, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. You had a black pills. Yeah. This is probably right around the same time I was making my show townies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they like everyone's great looking. They smoke a ton. And yeah. They've got an office in Venice. Basically. Yeah. 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 They had a very yeah. chic office in yeah. Venice. Um, and 
it was, you know, they were truly nonplussed. I mean, by like, they were excited by the idea, but the French were like, oh, like, she's a dominatrix. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's do it. <laughs> so they were so, like, seemingly game. And because I was doing Barry, I was on a clock. Mm-hmm. So I was, we had to go back and do a second season of the show. But like, you shoot in LA, right? We shoot in LA. Um, so they're like, if we're going to make it, we have to make it very quickly. Oh, because bonding takes place in New York? In New York, yeah. Or does it, did that matter to you? Uh, it, it, it mattered, yeah, it mattered. In the first season, especially if we end up making more, I think that we'll probably shoot on more stages if we, because mm-hmm. we'll have more money and more time. Um, but uh, yeah, so we were just going to go and film. I mean, we really filmed it like an indie movie. You know, we, we just shot the whole thing as location to location, location. So we didn't shoot episode to episode. So you told them, you told them how many episodes did like who, who decided on the format, you or black pills? Um, yeah, it was a joint thing. They were making sort of, um, I don't know. How long was yours? It would, it would range from like eight to 14 minutes. depending. Right. Yeah. So what I loved about, um, the black pills, space is that they had no real clock Mm -hmm. like even some of these spaces that you walk into and they're like it's the internet you can do whatever they're like but make it 12 minutes or under or even now i think there it's that push to content that's like seven minutes or below like as quick as it takes you to watch a porn yeah six seconds yeah 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 exactly (laughs) that's that's how long it takes you to watch a porn Um, yeah i when i i pitched them too and they were like Okay, when can it be ready? Can you finish it in three months? Right. Like to, that's the only thing that they seem to care about is like how fast can we get? Right. Yeah. More I think they were very interested in just making the content. So I started uh, writing it. I wrote it very quickly. I wrote about four hundred pages in two months that were whittled. You know, four hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, a hundred of those pages were good. Sure. But <laughs> right. I was yeah. writing and well, that's rewriting all you need and, though, right? Yeah. But just exactly. by yourself. By myself. Yeah. And do you have like someone that's like reading your stuff while it, like, uh, do you already have the deal with black pills now? It's like, yeah. So we got the deal with black pills. Um, and Oh, so this is to the directing point is that, uh, black pills came back to us and said, uh, he can direct the first three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, no offers off the table. We'll move on. And you know, everyone's like, and, writer. <laughs> did you no. have anything in the wings? Like other offers or other places no. you wanted to pitch? No. But I just said, this is what I was going to do. And this is what I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I have this great team of people around me who can work a deal for me mm-hmm. in a way that I could never work a deal for myself. So honestly, it was just a naivete, blind faith, and a whole lot of ego. And it's I also think, cheaper to shoot yeah. to have one director. Of course, of course, of course. And and thank God I, I that we did it this way. But um, they, they, they didn't fight it. Yeah, you're block shooting. Like, what are you supposed right. to do? Just, like, tag out right. and well, have the, five people on set every day for, you know, your comedy club or whatever? You yes. Know, forget I, about it. I don't feel like they really understood um, particularly what this experience would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times with production companies and they're a young production company and they, they gave us the ability to do this. And I'm so grateful for that. But, um, you know, there's a trust level that is, you know, for, for newer directors, for newer writers, for anything, you know, they just want to kind of give themselves some padding, some sort of security there. Um, and, you know, that's one of the unfortunate things, the catch 22s of working in this profession is that no one will give you a chance 
because you haven't had a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so l- they luckily, they were the people who gave me that chance. So they said, okay, then. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do it. All episodes. Uh, New York, mm-hmm. I want to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Great. So then so you didn't need fog machines. It was just all Frenchmen. Smoking. Yes. Um, so then tell us how the Netflix of it all occurred. Right. So we so we went and filmed the show in New York. We did casting in New York. And, Who's um, your cast? Member? I don't know them, but they're awesome. So they're great. Yeah. Incredible. Um, Brennan Scannell and Zoe Levin play the two leads. And they are both Los Angeles actors. Brennan's a Los Angeles comedian and actor. And actually multiple people when I was talking to them about the show, my friend Leslie Headland, who did Russian Doll, mm-hmm. um, she was, and she had directed a bunch of Heathers, which Brendan played one of the Heathers, nah, in the Heathers reboot. Um, and she was like, I know the kid, this is the only person. And I was like, okay, Leslie, <laughs> you know, I was like, we have a casting director, please. And, um, and she was absolutely right that he sent in a tape and within a minute I was like, stop the auditions. I mean, this is the only person for the job. Um, and is it like, is there, this is a SAG new media uh, yeah, contract? Is yeah, that how we it were, works? yeah, we were under, we were under some weirdo contract for sure. I mean, no one got paid. Right. Right. <laughs> Especially you. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> never been more successful. Was that never hard? Been more poor. Yeah. Like uh, to get great actors? Well, luckily, I think people really loved the script and people loved the idea and they loved the script. And um, I was floored by the way that people responded to the work. And this girl, Zoe Levin, she was the last person we saw for TIFF. She sent in a tape, Dara Gordon's idea, because she's also at Anonymous. She sent in a tape uh, the day before we had to make any decisions. And I put a minute into the tape, I put my head into my sweater and cried. Truly, which sure. scene did she do? She did. Um, she did a couple of them. We had her do one Dom one, and then one that was completely rewritten. Um, it was not. It's it's a scene from the date, um, oh. but she was just all the things. Uh, it's a difficult part. Um, someone who's like completely closed off and right. yet is like vulnerable, very yeah. vulnerable. You have to see all of the colors, right? Basically. And like sort of, and like her friendship with her friend like brings out this whole other part of hers that no one really gets to see. And, um, they were incredible. They didn't meet until their, until the third day of filming. Cause Brandon oh, wow. was on another project and their first scene together was that scene in the stairwell bar where he has a black eye. And, um, they're talking about him going on a date and honestly, everyone held their breath for an hour, you know, sure. and we set up that shot and we watched the two of them and it was just like, magic awesome and where is where do we know her from she was um she's been in a bunch of uh cool indies the way way back palo alto um but she was also in um she was on this show called the red band society and she was one of the leads on that oh cool um yeah she's so i mean she seems very experienced as an actress she's like like from your show a movie star Mm -hmm. i just like I'm floored by her honestly my one thing is after we watched her tape i said is she too pretty Mm-hmm. She's very pretty. Sure. She's the yeah. prettiest girl in the world. <laughs> and uh, no one ever had a problem with that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's like one of those things where you think that, yeah, sure. you know, that was not, there was no character descriptions for anyone, especially for casting. I find personally that reading a character description um, that has the words beautiful in it or uh, the, it beats actors down, you know, mm-hmm. like it mm-hmm. essentially says like, 
your self-worth is now mm-hmm. valued in this way. Like your acting ability is valued in this way. So that I wasn't looking for the people that we found. We but just did you write them. anything in the casting description? Like um, their history? Or- yeah, yeah. I wrote like we wrote some like history stuff, like who they were. But they were very, very baseline because mm-hmm. I don't find it. Um, I don't I don't find it helpful as an actor. And I also think that they're truly embarrassing. Those mm-hmm. like sort of character descriptions. Sure. And they go out to the public. And so I was like, there will be no race. There will be mm-hmm. no no talking about people's beauty, their physical appearance, who they are. This is just about their internal life and who they are as a person. Yeah, fascinating. Wow, that's a good takeaway. Yeah, I mean, they do. But by, by the way, warning: they really do go out to the public. Like people will see this, and like especially like you know, you will be judged on the way that you talked about mm-hmm. who an actor should be or a character should be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Netflix. Oh, yeah. So uh, so we made the show, and it was we made it for 20 days for a little under a million dollars in New York. And it was like a truly, truly stretched budget. Obviously, I'm highly aesthetic, and I was very, very particular about yeah, that stuff. Yeah, can you tell, talk about your inspiration on the visuals a little bit? Almodovar is a huge inspiration to me. Oh, so, cool. Um, that was uh, sort of a big part of that. Uh, thing like I love the close-ups in the classroom and stuff like kind of this low angle right but yeah 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 and everything is you know um very shallow depth and you know just sort of really painting mm-hmm. very beautiful pictures but I thought, wide lenses still right yeah yeah, right? yeah 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 the, just uh we wanted to create a Nate Hertzellers who is the DP who's unbelievably amazing and saved my ass through the entire thing um we had multiple conversations about um just the beauty of the show wanting to lift it out of the space of like a normal reality. So essentially like popping the colors, popping everything up into this sort of like wide lens, shallow depth, um, painting a picture of like Mm -hmm. essentially an intimate world that's got a large world around it that they can't see sort of these myopically focused Mm -hmm. people. That's awesome. Yeah. Love it. Um, okay. So Netflix, um, what happened was, is that we made the show. Uh, I edited the show. It was eight episodes. I came back to LA, I edited it with our editor, Patrick Lawrence. We realized that the first three episodes were not working and we cut an episode. We, and we re jiggered mm-hmm. a lot of the show. Luckily they wear the same coat throughout the whole show. So mm-hmm. we could cheat a lot of that and sort oh, of wow. remade it into a seven episode show. Um, and then, uh, we sent the show to can series. It was the first year of their TV awesome. version of yeah. can. Um, and we got in. So the first time I ever watched it with an audience was with uh, a bunch of like French teenagers, essentially. Yeah. Um, Turns out the French love your work. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> they loved it. Um, and it was it was so thrilling. I mean, walking up the steps of the Palais, like like with this rinky dink thing that I I mean, like truly beyond my wildest dreams. And when we came back from that, uh, we did a couple of other festivals, and a lot of networks came a calling. WME. Mm-hmm. Um, started getting a lot of, you know, an influx of calls of, can we see it? Can we see it? Can we see it? Um, and so I went and had a bunch of meetings with a lot of different networks. Um, most of which were about how do we add 15 minutes to every episode or how do we reshape the show for, you know, our audience? Um, and Netflix called and said, um, we want them to come in and pitch a season two. Mm -hmm. And I was like, (laughs) this is before they bought season one. Yeah. They said, in order to buy season one, we want to talk to them about season one, but we need to know that there's gas in the tank. So I went in and I pitched them a season two. And um, 
Cole Galvin, our executive over there, essentially read me like a college thesis love letter on all the things in the show that I see that no one else really sees, you know, like mm-hmm. the color and the, the mm-hmm. cinematic references and all the things that, you know, that I poured my heart ah. and soul into that I didn't really think that. What a gift. Yeah. Right? Right? To, just incredible. to explain, so, like someone's like, hey, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. In these terms. It's so wonderful, right? Yeah, I mean, Jacob Perlin said to me, he was like, I've never seen you at a loss for words. I had tears in my eyes. And I was at a yeah. pitch meeting, you know, yeah. where normally you're like, batting the hatches, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. you're just trying to get like, through this experience, tap dancing everywhere. But it was incredible. And we left the meeting and we knew there that they were going to buy the show. But we got a call, I guess, a week and a half later that they were. And it's doing incredibly well. Yeah, it's like, doing incredibly well. Nothing can prepare you for the way that, um, the, for the scope of a Netflix audience. Mm-hmm. And certainly I had lowered expectations. I just thought, you know, if it's a good reel for me, if it's on black pills mm-hmm. and the right people see it, right, then I will right. keep, you know, I can keep making this work. I can keep, uh, you, you can know, make your own private links and send it to people if you need to. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, that someone, <laughs> someone can do it. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if I can even figure out how to do that, but someone can do it. And, um, so that was every step of the way for me was just trying to, to, um, to get the most, to squeeze the most juice out of, you know, this mm-hmm. over squeezed orange and to have it then go to Netflix, which where they were like, Oh baby, we got like, we got pulp and stock. Like this is like, we're going to throw this at everybody. It's done incredibly well. And it's been so thrilling and honestly terrifying. Sure. Yeah. That's fascinating too. Right. Like now, yeah. I mean, it's easy to pitch in a hypothetical, but then all of a sudden, like you're following this up. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, like little things that you're like, oh, that's a little mistake I made or this right. I would have maybe done differently sure. are just sort of like you <sighs> rushed post. You rushed everything. Yeah. Right? They're just yeah. blasted out into yeah. the world. And um, it, it's it's unbelievable because like we were talking about before, it's the opportunity for people to get your seat for them to see your work. And that is a double edged sword, you know, so it's both wonderful and terrifying and I have done a lot of growing in the past month. It's been out for a month and I've really had some deep conversations with myself about um, who I am as a person and, and the validation that I need and the things that um, are going to move me forward as an artist. Cause I feel like if you don't um, get comfortable with it very quickly, um, you probably just won't make anything again. Yeah. And so you're still waiting for to hear about season two, you said? Yeah, we're still waiting to hear about season two. I think that everyone knows it's gone really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I love that it's they're like 11-minute episodes, right? Yeah, they're all different lengths. I think the longest one is 18 minutes and the shortest one is 12 minutes. And that was the great thing about pitching it to Black Pills. And it's also the great thing about Netflix is that they bought it as is. They didn't make one change and, um, you know, really celebrated a lot of the the decisions that we had made with the show, which was really cool. And, um, you know, the, the music was written by this guy, um, Adam Crystal, who's a wonderful composer. And just the team that we had around us making this thing, it feels like we were all in this one particular place in our career and this show being mm-hmm. seen by so many people has given us a lot of opportunity to make more stuff. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to see more from you, writer. Um, can we endorse real quick? Unpaid endorsements. So my uh, unpaid endorsement for the week is Fleabag season two. Are you guys watching this show? I saw the first one. I need to see the second. So the first first season is great. Yeah. Second season is incredible. It's like genuinely the thing I am the most excited about right wow. now. I've been you know slowly doling it out 
because like it would be easy to just watch them all in one mm. sitting um and i'm really trying to take my time on it but um fleabag season two is really it's it's everything that's great about the first season and then some so um writer do you have anything um yeah i, I was like wondering if anyone's ever said this but um i think you should leave with tim robinson have you seen that love oh, it yeah, yeah. oh think, my god did you endorse that meant maybe once did you already endorse it but that's okay it's good to double down on it though honestly double down on it i would come back and say it again i was it's also on netflix but um i if the first segment of the guy opening the door does not sell you (laughs) then i don't think that you have a comedic bone in your body it is the funniest thing i've ever seen i was so thrilled it reminded me of like sketch comedies strangers with candy mm-hmm. like just sort of these warped world ideas and i just love people who are so holy themselves that are making things that say like get into the joke or don't get in it yeah and also again like 15 minute episodes yeah so, yeah yeah bite size that that first scene is a shot at brew which is the coffee shop right down the street from me fun fact yeah so uh i think you should leave season one on netflix yes yeah. or in what you got um we talked about uh dead to me no, yeah. no, yeah, there you go. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. On Netflix. <laughs> Never like it too. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Check out Dead to Me. Dead to Me season one. Season one. There, there you go. Yeah, I yeah. love Linda my Cardellini. Friend, my yeah. friend Max Jenkins is on it. Oh, right. oh cool. Yeah. Who does Max play? Gay guy. There you go. Choir. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah I can't, it's, it's on my list. As soon as I'm done with... Uh, yeah. Fleabag, I'm There's so there. many dark shows on right now. Yeah, well, the thing about, not to talk about Fleabag too much, but um, it's both funny and gut-wrenching in the same episodes. Right, yeah, yeah. that's what that's what I like. Take yeah. me there. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, these spaces like Netflix are giving people the opportunity to create a bunch of different types of shows. I think a lot of people are now bemoaning the fact that there's so much content out there, but honestly, it's like, find what you like and watch it. Like, yeah. what a wonderful supermarket of, like, opportunity. Well... Writer, where can we learn uh, more about you? Follow along and uh, make sure that we get to see Bonding Season 2 um, or, and whatever else is uh, coming from you next. Well, I got, you got, my Instagram is writer at G, writer Doyle at Gmail, R-I-G-H-T-O-R-D-O-Y-L-E at Gmail. I'm not really that's on. That's your Instagram? Yeah, that's my Instagram. Oh, good. I thought you were giving away your email address. No, no, no. Oh, did I say my email? You said at Gmail. Oh, at Gmail. That's funny. No, it's not. It's actually not. It's actually not oh, uh, good. Writer good. Doyle. You don't even have to cut that because it's actually not. But maybe I should set that email up and see who emails me. Yeah. You should. Wait, but what is your Instagram? Oh, my Instagram is Writer Doyle. Writer Doyle. There you go. <laughs> R-I-G-H-T-O-R-D-O-Y-L-E. I never type it in. You never have to tag yourself. Yeah, so yeah. R-I-G-H-T-O-R-D-O-Y-L-E. Um, and then I think it's the same thing on Twitter, but I don't really go on Twitter. It's a true hellscape. And is Writer your birth name? It's my middle name. It's my great-grandmother's maiden name but i'm from new orleans and a lot of people in my family go by their middle name oh interesting yeah um cool great well Well, thanks so much for doing the show thank you for having me i really appreciate it well if you want to learn about more of the stuff that we talked about on the show you can visit justshootitpod.com for our show notes you can follow us across social media at justshootitpod we're instagramming a ton we're tweeting a bunch Uh, it's a good way to keep yourself in the loop on what's happening with the show both special events Uh, and also new episodes Uh, and if you want to leave us a voicemail like jeff from olympia at the top of our episode you can give us a call at 2626 shoot one operators are standing by i really love the voicemails they're the best yeah 
Email us too, just shootapod at gmail.com. You can find me. I'm at OKaplan on Instagram. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow on all the things. And uh, rate us on iTunes. We, we really love it. Yeah, it's pretty great. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe, produced by Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to right now is by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Bye. Thanks, everyone. 